0: beautiful hello folks this is sean harwell you are listening to the never heard of It podcast this is the podcast we talk about movies that have slipped through our cracks got a good one for you today as always and lucky for you it's not just me talking. I'm joined once again today. Have I said thank you lately? Probably not. Thank you for joining me today, co host. Why don't you say hello? Uh,
1: hello. This is Craig. You're welcome, Moorhead, here to take care of all your co hosting needs. Craig, how are you? I'm all right, Sean. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Are you ready to go back to, to college after watching this
1: movie? Oh, man. Yeah, I feel like college really used to be populated by people who seemed a lot older. Than <laughs> yes, <me>. it did. <laughs> I don't, there's a lot that I don't remember. Yeah. Going by, uh, maybe that's just how it was in the eighties. And I just wouldn't know. Sure. What about you? How, 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 how eager are you to fill out some applications?
0: I don't know. I think I would just feel old. I think that's, uh, that's the bottom line. That could be. Anyway, we are going to talk about a movie today, obviously, that, uh, is set on college campus, if you can't tell, but before we get to that, I have to once again, point you to com. That's where you can find everything you want to know about our little show if you're looking for us online. And you can find all those back episodes if you're not quite caught up. Links to email us if you have a suggestion. And once again, thank you to Andrew Bentler for suggesting this movie today, which is Big Man on Campus 1989. We will get to all of that in just a second. Craig... I think I'm supposed to ask you what you
1: watched. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Uh, what have I watched since the last time? Um,
0: what haven't you watched, you know?
1: <laughs> I I well, I watched... Wait, I don't know. Did uh, did we talk <laughs> about Snake Eyes last time?
0: No, we did not. Did the Nicolas Cage Snake Eyes?
1: Absolutely the Nicolas Cage Snake Eyes. Which, uh, yeah. interestingly enough, I have to say, I don't remember what else I watched this week, but I watched Snake Eyes... And that movie, for me, has gotten better ever since I saw it the first. I saw it the first time in the theater, and all I remember mostly about that was being so turned off by what Nick Cage was doing at the <laughs> beginning of the movie. Oh man! Like the performance was so unhinged. I was just like, yeah. oh, man, I, I don't know. And now I'm just fully on board the whole time. Like I just, I, I, it's really fun. I encourage everyone to watch it. I believe it's on uh, Amazon. Does
0: it feel unhinged now in uh, the hindsight of? Of Nicolas Cage performances, uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Still? I mean, it's okay. it's still
1: totally because it's like <laughs> it's like he's he's. Uh, I was talking to our friend Damien uh, Leahy, who's who's been on the yes, podcast. Check out episode seventy-two. Actually, I don't know which episode it is. Well,
0: That was a good guess. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, well, I think it was a long time before <laughs> check our, seventy-two. Check our backlog. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a really good one with Damien Leahy. But anyway, I was talking to him, and uh, and you know, he kind of nailed it. He said, "Yeah, Nick Cage was doing pretty much the same performance he did in Face Off." When he was playing John Travolta's character, or yeah. no? When he was uh, as the bad guy, as yeah. the bad guy, and I was just like, yeah, he he totally is. Like, what's kind of missing from the beginning of Snake Eyes is like you kind of want to open on a shot where Nick Cage is like doing lines in a bathroom or something. <laughs> And then the rest of that opening would just be like, oh, yeah, well, he's coked up. Like, yeah. <laughs> of course. yeah. That's exactly how you would act. That's what, that and, explains um,
0: everything that follows, yes.
1: Exactly. But, uh, but this time I, have, I think I have a little more appreciation for the fact that, you know, the whole point is he's supposed to be this guy who's kind of barely a cop. Who's just, like, right. running the town and having a great time and, like... Yeah, is, and that's the whole point, is he has to be barely a cop, otherwise none of this plan is going to work. Gotcha. So um, a lot of fun. And, I mean, De Palma just does stuff that nobody else does, and, and I, I, I miss his choices of shots oh, in man. today's movies. Like, they're yeah. just so great. Uh, what about you, man? What did you
0: watch this week? Uh, I watched a bunch of stuff. Let's see. I'll just highlight a few things. Let's see. Death of Stalin, I loved. Just hilarious, I thought. Uh, if you know about this movie, it's out there in the theaters right now. I definitely recommend it. It's the yeah. creator of Veep. And I uh, did a movie called In the Loop as well, which I haven't seen, but hysterical, yeah. hysterical. In the Loop is great. Yeah, yeah you know, I've yeah. seen some mixed stuff, but I, I thought it was fantastic. I watched The Misfits, the John Huston movie from 1961 oh, yeah. with Marilyn Monroe. Have you ever seen that movie?
1: I have, but it was a long time ago.
0: Oh, man, that's a really interesting movie. Uh, I think it's an Arthur Miller script, if I'm not mistaken, and it was during the period when his relationship with Marilyn Monroe was falling apart and she would be dead within like a year of this movie getting made, Uh, as would Clark Gable, who plays a character named Gay, and then Montgomery Clift, who I believe was Gay, plays a character named Straight. Isn't that crazy? Wait, what? No, he doesn't. His his character's name... (laughs) Uh, the, the the Clark Gable say, part is real, have... but uh the Montgomery Cliff plays a character named Perse, which is also just like an awesome name. It's like Percy, I guess, um, is is a short short for it. But they both play like cowboys. And I thought it was a really interesting movie. I really enjoyed that. I, I was reading some of the yeah. behind the scenes stuff and it, it sounds like a nightmare of a <laughs> of a production in a lot of ways, but yeah. But fascinating nonetheless. And then I watched uh David Gordon Green's Stronger, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie about the um Boston Marathon bombing and Jeff yeah. Bauman, who survived that and lost his legs. Really strong movie. That's a that's a tough one to pull off, that that whole vibe there. I thought they did a great job. Also tough is the documentary Hearts and Minds, which is uh nineteen seventy four, about the Vietnam War. You've probably seen some stills from this movie. Yeah and wish you probably hadn't cuz it's just some really harrowing imagery in this damn thing. I mean, it kind of covers all war, Vietnam on all sides and yeah, there's some stuff that just you you can't unsee. So, that's out there. That's a good night and uh <laughs> curl up with yeah. your loved one and and sit down and, I did not watch that with my <laughs> wife. I just watched it Although I think she would have would have appreciated it. But um and then last but not least, uh I watched I finished up that Wild Wild Country. On Netflix, yeah. maybe I mentioned that last time, but I started Flint Town, which is another documentary series on Netflix about the police department in Flint, oh, yeah. Michigan during, yeah, entirely undermanned and understaffed and underpaid police department in that city as they're going through the water crisis and everything else. And uh, that's pretty fascinating. It's like a really good version of the show Cops, you know? Yeah. Which, uh, you know, obviously there's inherent drama and all that. But that's it. That's, that's what I watched.
1: I need to add one thing to mine, which I can't believe I forgot. Because yeah. I actually went and saw a movie in the theater. Oh, man. What did you see? It's this little uh, movie out of, out of California called uh, Black Panther.
0: I still have not seen it. I'm like the last person on the planet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I it, it doesn't need any more hype than it's already gotten, obviously. No kidding, but there. I was so happy. Definitely one of my favorite movie experiences in a while and i mean I'm, I'm partial to marvel movies anyway yeah but this one this one probably has the best villain good it's, well and i i thought yeah.
0: spider-man homecoming i thought uh keaton was a great villain in that one
1: yeah and i mean in in a similar way but i think the i think the payoff is better in black panther but i think that uh that brings us right up to date
0: i actually forgot to say i rewatched uh phantom thread the Paul Thomas Anderson that that movie's Ah. incredible it's just uh, you got to soak it in don't just sit down and watch it in one sitting if you have the luxury of just spreading it out a while and appreciating uh the scenes and the music I mean it's just I don't know like that guy it feels like he's making movies that are like classic cinema and yet they're not they don't imitate those movies I don't know it's it's, he's just in a weird channel all by himself Anyway, also in a weird channel all by itself, I think, is this movie we're going to talk about today, Big Man on Campus, if I can use that as a segue. It certainly is. This is directed by Jeremy Kagan. It was written by Alan Katz, who also stars as, yeah, he is a hunchback character living uh, in the bell tower of UCLA, right on campus there. I feel like I should just confess right up front, this is kind of embarrassing. I, you know what, Craig, I don't know how I did this, but I never watched the trailer for this movie, you know? And I absolutely had it in my head. Like, if you look at this poster, he Mm -hmm. looks like he's giant. Like, I thought uh, he's a hunchback, but he's also just really tall, you know? Because it's called big man on campus, right? Sure. (laughs) He's not. He's normal. He's like normal hunchback size, I'd say, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: In fact, they measure his, uh, they take his measurements and his, like, bust is like a 62, which was, I I thought, quite a funny scene. (laughs) Anyway, we'll get to that. Craig, as, you know, I think we talked last time, you also had not seen this movie. Uh, I can't remember if you had mm-hmm. even heard of it or not. Certainly new to me. We had someone comment on Facebook today that they haven't seen this since middle school. So I don't know, just to give people a yeah. reference, <laughs> I thought that was funny. I don't remember this popping up during middle school at all. But no. what did you think of this movie, which is IMDb, I'm looking at it right now, calls a comedy, fantasy, which, I, uh, you know, maybe that last descriptor is is accurate in some ways but we can get to that um what'd you think big man on campus
1: indeed um i i i can see why it's 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 maybe not watched very much <laughs> yeah uh, and, and 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 discussed uh hmm. i don't you know i don't know i don't have a lot of terrible things to say about it mm-hmm. but it 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 wasn't one that that had me rolling in the aisles well it did have some funny bits it, it, it never it never kind of got its, its hooks into me what about you I think I was
0: kind of won over by this movie and its charms by the Mm -hmm. end of it. And I I laughed maybe a little more than I expected. And I think that was just primarily due to Alan Katz. I thought his performance was pretty funny as this hunchback in a lot of places. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the last time just in the research you were doing that he had approached Marty Feldman as, you know, a, a possible lead for this to play this role initially and I can totally see that. I mean, even in some of his own performance here and some of the stuff he does, I'm like, that kind of feels like a Feldman thing, (laughs) like knowing that and then watching this. But that said, I mean, that, you know, it's hard to do Marty Feldman without gecko eyes, obviously. Sure. There's a lot of little things I appreciated about it. And then the sort of big thing that I think is the hurdle is... Yeah, there, there's no way this exists in the real world whatsoever. I mean, in any facet of it, right. in the way that people react and respond to this guy. But I don't know. Maybe it's just the mood I'm in. But I was kind of like, you know, we've had how many years of grounded comedy now since uh, the sort of Apatow stuff kind of came out? Like, I don't know. I was kind of like, yeah, okay, this is just this big premise that... <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with reality right. and I'm just gonna go with it and it was kind of fun. So yeah, I think I enjoyed it more than more than I thought I would, honestly. I don't know. Should we talk about the setup? Because I do think it takes a pretty interesting turn within like the first five minutes of this thing that definitely yeah. it took me a while to like I said when it, it won me over. It took me a while to get into the groove of this. I think that is due primarily to because you know the movie opens and we're given some sort of newsreel footage through the opening credits. That's sort of your quick intro to oh, there's rumors of a creature living on UCLA. And it's various people giving their account of it, all of which is completely like contradicting and far out there and unbelievable. I did like that you're hearing. Alan Katz as this hunchback character kind of grunting and making noises over and Mm -hmm. singing along with the score, which I thought was kind of funny and weird. Oh, yeah. But then you open on campus. I mean, you're thrown right into it. There's like a renaissance fair going on. I don't know. Yep. We never had that at our school that I recall. (laughs) Uh, No. Sadly, I don't know. It would have been fun. You know, you got Corey Parker, who we talked about before, plays character Alex. His girlfriend is played by Melora Hardin. She plays character Kathy. Kathy, with a lot of big hair, a lot of big '80s hair, there, very mm-hmm. pretty, and oh, yeah. uh, you know they're kind of walking around. You're getting some POV of somebody in the bell tower. I don't remember the exact order of it, but we do find out very early on that Alex is not doing so hot in the grades department in his meeting right. with the very very white dean, Dean Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> yep, right out of Central Casting, and basically he's got to oh, yeah. he's got to get a B or he's going to flunk out, right? He's got one semester to basically save his college career. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's sort of your bigger premise as far as that guy is concerned, which I guess he's the protagonist. I don't know. Maybe we could debate that. But the inciting incident is sort of there's an altercation with a guy at the Renaissance Fair, Mr. Big Man on campus. The hunchback living in the bell tower swings in on a rope of some kind because it looks like Kathy is going to get hurt in this altercation. Yeah. He saves her, but he is then taken into custody, and we kind of just cut to a courtroom. Mm
1: -hmm. I did appreciate how quickly it kind of went. Well, well,
0: I did, not I didn't, too, because I was like, wait, wait, what? We're we're in court now? (laughs) My only complaint about that is, and I I don't know, like, yeah, in hindsight, I think I liked that it just jumped right into it. But at the time, I'm like, oh, so there's... We're not, there's like no mystery as to who this guy is now, really. Like, we're just seeing, like, there he is sitting in the courtroom, this hunchback. Right. And they're talking. They're, That's they're true. are telling us all this stuff about him. I mean, I do think some of the stuff in that courtroom is funny. You know, he was sitting there and what he like ate his lawyer's, uh, that guy was like taking antacid or tongue. Like antacid. Yeah. <laughs> and he just starts foaming this like white pasty substance out of his mouth. It was so gross, but I was laughing my ass off. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting decision. I mean, it certainly moves yeah. the plot forward. But as far as like easing you into this character, I mean, really all we've been told is from those opening credit news things is that there's a creature and then here he is. And it, they're debating yeah. whether he is sane and fit to be in society. And the ultimate decision is that he is going to retain, remain, sorry in custody of the university which is kind of baffling to begin with as far as again would that ever have a... <laughs> I don't know but right. basically Tom Skerrit who's one of the heads of the um, psychology department you know he he also kind of has a certain amount of time to prove that this guy this creature who's been living in the bell tower can fit into society without being a threat now right. i got to ask you this I was a little confused about, well, a lot of things. But the big one is, at that point, did we know that, I mean, like, how long has he been up here there, Craig? How long has he been in the bell <laughs> tower? Like, I, that's where I couldn't well, quite place him on the scale of, is he just homeless? Is he, like, feral? Like what? Like, what is he, you know?
1: <laughs> well, and that's what I was trying to put together. I mean, later he kind of says a bunch of stuff, and I assume it was true. Yep. Because it's it's treated very seriously. And so, it, I mean, it sounded like he's been on his own since he was a kid. And he's always been, you know, his back has always had a great big hunch on it. Uh-huh. But I don't, I don't know why he would decide to hide in a bell tower.
0: That was a little confusing.
1: And I have never read The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame, sorry. Neither have I. <laughs> so I don't know if, you know, kind of what blanks might have been filled in there that's a that's a fair question, but I wonder if it's a it's probably not a fair question for this movie yeah because, and I, I think again you're right kind of like what you're pointing out and and thinking about it now yeah it's like what I would expect to have happened in the story is he gets arrested and then they go down and like bail him out because he's just like a dude uh-huh who's got a hunch on his back like yeah how did we get to the point where there's a there's a whole court case? like what was the what was the case exactly like what was you know what i mean like
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know because i'm like yeah kathy certainly did not press charges because she's extremely sympathetic to this and kind and and concerned about him as soon as they interact you know as soon as he saves her yeah which is understandable and was nice of her but yeah i I don't know i especially knowing that this is like ucla and i'm just like well this is right in the middle of like westwood and town like I feel like your instinct would be, this is a deranged homeless man. Please get him away from me. Right. <laughs> you know, even if you are sometimes, right. you know, this, this, this man needs help. Like, you know, that would be, right. I think, a normal person's reaction. And that is not this movie.
1: Yeah. It, it, it seems like either you would need to see those kids or Tom Skerritt, like, trying to get his hands on this guy because he's, He's something's not right about him, mm. but it seems like yeah, it seems like the cops would have just dropped him at a homeless shelter, or right?
0: Or you know, otherwise, what is, is I was trying to remember if like Edward Scissorhands sort of does that thing where he, you know, you know this guy is like locked up in there. You're, you're sort of building to that moment where he is discovered, right? And then obviously in a similar fashion, he develops a relationship or at least feelings for Winona Ryder in that movie. Kind of the same thing here. Yeah, I don't know. But it's just an interesting way to do it to just throw him right in there. And then get he's like yeah. wide out in the open, you know. You get the funny bit where after the court case, I mean this this court case makes the local news in, in Los Angeles, so you know a lot of people are going to know about this guy. And you've got Tom Skerritt on one end of the spectrum saying, you know, he's he just hasn't been exposed to society, and you know he's been living up there, and he's not insane. We don't, he's not dangerous. Blah 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 blah. And then you've got Jessica Harper who plays the Dr. Fisk character who. I guess she also works at the university. Right, yes, because she's a professor. And, you know, (laughs) there's that interview with her by the local newsman, and she's like, I think this is a terrible decision. I have no doubts that this man will do some sort of harm to someone, and I will stake my reputation on that. And then the news guy goes, well, I think you just have. (laughs) And she's like, wait a second, are we live? Which is, I mean, it's a silly joke, but... Yeah. Again, it's like there's no sort of there's just no mystery left to who this guy is. Yeah. Basically, in a lot of ways. Right. And I also thought it was an interesting decision because you kind of quickly establish that there's going to be sort of an odd couple element between Bob and Alex, the Corey Parker character, who is the young student right. who works out some deal with Tom Skerritt that if he will live in the bell tower, if he'll move all his <laughs> belongings from his dorm room into the bell tower to keep an eye on Bob while they're doing the research and learning about him, that would be a great assistance to the department and would all but guarantee that he does not fail. Yeah. Did you think that they were gonna go the other way with that at least and have him move into a dorm room? Have the caveman go into, you know, be the fish out of water in a normal college kid's life? Because I certainly did. Like, as soon as they did that, I was like, wait a second, we're not doing the opposite?
1: Right. I mean, it, it definitely seems like that would have been a good path where it's just like, okay, let's get him into regular society. Let's really, yeah. uh, you know, kind of dress him up and teach him how to do things. Yeah. I mean, but none of that made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I like, can't. I mean, right. Like, I, I wasn't sure how it was supposed to. Yeah. It, it, like, like the stakes, the stakes were odd. It wasn't even that the stakes were too low. Yeah. But they just seemed really odd there, and and honestly, like right then, whenever he starts talking about, oh, what do you want me to do? Move in here, blah blah. blah and they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> right then, I was like, wait a second, I, I totally forgot that this guy had this other story going on where he's about to fail out of college. Yeah, like it kind of started out as his movie, and now he's gonna have to deal with this guy. And at this point, it was like, no, 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 no. It's Big Man on Campus's movie. This other guy and his his thing, like. Doesn't really seem to matter anymore. Right. But now it's coming into play and now he's gonna he's gonna live. So and and so let me ask this question. When, whenever they went into the deal, my thought was that he's going to observe and report. Mm-hmm. He's gonna like really watch this guy and and tell all the staff about what's going on. But I feel like that never really happened. And maybe that's the whole point. Maybe the what they really wanted him to do was just was just babysit him yeah. and make sure he doesn't do anything bad. I don't I mean, no I
0: sense. think they kinda wanted it. To- both ways it was like yeah he's a babysitter yeah. but then also it's like yeah you have to do something this semester you know like we we want right. your thoughts on this and that can be part of your your class and your grade and like he does ultimately have to take exams and that kind of thing but yeah it was it was interesting I mean even just talking about hit like it sort of starting off being Cory Parker's movie and then quickly not being that and then kind of coming back into that yeah I mean there was that whole stretch there where he's sort of just the quippy one-liner kind of guy because yeah. Tom Skerritt and Kathy are doing so much of the the lifting there through that trial yeah, yeah. and everything. And he's just kind of making a joke of it because yeah, he's just a normal like college kid. who has got a very attractive girlfriend and clearly a, a pretty poor student. And he doesn't, he doesn't want anything to do with this, this hunchback right. guy, you know? And so, uh, I mean, in some ways, like he was—he was kind of the voice of the audience in a weird way. It was just like, yeah, this is not a good—I don't—I'm not getting in the car with this guy. You know, it's like—I sure. um, mean, the, the thought of a, a actual college professor suggesting that a student live in a bell tower—period, even if there's not another person there—yeah, <laughs> is, is probably grounds for firing.
1: And not to forget a bell tower where, while the three of them, including the professor, were in the bell tower. Cory Parker nearly fell to his death.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: he just goes right through the floor. It's like, yeah, why don't you live here?
0: <laughs> and there's the rat so, uh, named Luca. Yeah. Muka. Yeah. Having said all of that, I, I definitely grew to like that setting and like the sort of comedy that they got out of both of them being in there. I think mm-hmm. m- maybe my favorite scene of the movie was much later on, when, and, and really the progression of the plot after that setup is just about the transformation of Bob from the, the guy who talks kind of like Elmo. Right. It's like Elmo, but with a deeper voice in a lot of ways. It was funny. Right. It's kind of just him transforming into a bit more of a civilized version of that. Through all of this, there's weeks going by and Corey Parker and Laura Harden have not had much alone time at all (laughs) because Bob is always there. He is always there. He's clearly in love with Kathy. And so they schedule a rendezvous after Bob goes to bed one night. And, you know, you've had all this stuff established about, you know, they both got desk lamps after uh, Corey Parker moved in and Bob keeps breaking the light bulbs in his or just dropping the entire lamp down the bottom of the bell tower and that's a good bit. Yeah, I mean, like increasingly Corey Parker is sort of like performing the role of parent right. or older sibling, like taking care of a much younger child. And all that stuff I thought was kind of funny. And he's he's putting Bob to bed and you know, he's he's pretending to go to sleep. And when it seems like Bob is out cold, he starts sneaking down the stairs and Bob is just immediately up and right behind him. And like yeah, I don't. All those jokes, that these gags, I thought were great. You know, and they had established by that point that really all Bob can do at the onset verbally is just mimic whatever the last thing is said. You know, so um, yeah. he's kind of like a parrot. In fact, that's what they call him. And so that kind of comedy, like that, those jokes, I thought worked really well because it was just like, yeah, this is who Bob is. Like even though he's changing and learning, he's still. That that is how you learn. You mimic, you know, you're a sponge, and you're especially in college, you know, it's like you're trying to find yourself and, like, you want to also fit in at the same time. So all that stuff, I kind of, I don't know, by the end of it, like I say, like, I just, I kind of went along with it. I mean, it is ridiculous Mm -hmm. to think about a college student living (laughs) in a bell tower with what is ostensibly a homeless person who's very questionably um, mentally abled, You just kind of have to get over that. So many comedies in the 80s asked you to do that, obviously. Sure. They gave you a big premise. I mean, like Spies Like Us, you know, and some of the things that we watched from Mm -hmm. 85. And I don't know. I don't think that happens as much today. I mean, obviously, the studios aren't making as many comedies, period. But when they do, they're not, you know, they they tend to be much, much more grounded. And maybe that's just a reflection of the audience and, and what we want, obviously. But I don't know. There was some nostalgic charm to this movie and its crazy premise.
1: Yeah. I think the first thing we can do is get a name for you, and I think you should pick it. Now, can
0: you think of a name that you'd like to be your name?
1: What? Judy Finkel.
0: Well, Judy Finkel is a nice name. Thank you. But it's a woman's name. Okay. Well, it's not exactly okay. You should have a man's name. Now, I want you to think of a man's name, a name that you think suits you. William F. Buckley. I believe there is a William F. Buckley. Right. William G. Buckley. I think you should have your own name. A name that is not like a famous person's.
1: Bob. Bob. Bob? Maluga Luga 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 Luga. Anyone famous named Bob Maluga, luga, luga, luga,
0: luga. I doubt it Go ahead. what did you think of Alan Katz as like the big like the biggest piece of this movie? I mean that you know, we talked a little bit about that, and you had some stuff from that article, and hopefully we can get into this with Andrew, but like in a lot of ways, I'm glad it was not a name actor mm-hmm. like I don't know how I could have watched yeah. you know John Candy do that. I mean, maybe that would have worked. I don't know. But what what did you think of how he kind of handled being the lead in the movie here?
1: I think he was really well cast for a movie like this. I think (laughs) I I, I think Marty Feldman would have would not have been right at all for a movie like this. Uh Like you know, when he's in kind of a Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner type mode, where shit's a lot weirder. Yeah, like he makes a lot of sense, but like. I thought about it mainly in that scene where Bob proposes to Kathy. And I was like, if I was watching Marty Feldman do that, I feel like this would be a much stranger scene.
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right, yeah.
1: <laughs> I kind of came to the realization that I felt like the movie was very sitcom y. Like it, it was is, very yeah. well in a sitcom mm-hmm. uh sort of arena. And and that was kind of the thing. Like like this is a total sitcom moment that's happening. And like um and I just couldn't see Marty Feldman doing that sitcom thing. Like I right. would have to be Yeah, I guess that's the thing. It's like I felt like a lot of jokes, there's a lot of good bits that work really well. Uh-huh. But I feel like a lot of the stuff that didn't work for me, it was mainly because it would it, it felt like a joke that got to kind of the first punchline he could get to and then said, okay, that's enough. The whole uh, eating tons of chocolate in the cafeteria thing. Oh, so gross. (laughs) Like the end of that, I was just kind of like, yeah. It looks so disgusting. I I, I don't know. Like It it just felt like it needed another thing there. It was just like, oh, you left Bob alone, so he ate all the chocolate like i don't know it, uh, it, but so it felt very sitcommy to me in that yeah one. but yeah uh, yeah that that scene but, was but me but i think but he was perfect funny. for that yeah I, yeah i i like, like i i think alan katz is is very endearing mm-hmm. and like if you're going to feel sympathy and you're going to feel something for this character like i i feel like he he plays that i mean perfectly yeah he plays bob perfectly
0: you know, you're right, like, about the sitcom aspect of it. To me, a lot of that, I get more of that vibe from some of the supporting cast, you know, mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of fat to this movie, I don't think, at all, really. I mean, it, it moves no. at a good clip. Like, you're, not, I don't think you're anybody's going to be bored watching this thing, you know, even if you're not, like, right. really clicked into the humor. But I think the scenes where they were allowed to go on a little bit, like mm-hmm. that scene where Corey Parker is trying to sneak out at night, or where Bob is talking with Tom Skerritt on the couch and they get into his history right. a little bit. And they get into the, you know, He's mm-hmm. like, well, we got to give you a name. Like, you need a name. Definitely. The, I mean, those scenes get what? to breathe a little bit. And that's where, like, a lot of the comedy, I think, happened. And same with Cindy Williams, you know, from Laverne and Shirley. I thought she was great, like, the speech therapist. She's basically playing the straight woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were some scenes just between the two of them that. I thought were great. The French kiss scene, I, I mean, that made me laugh. Like, she's cool. She's really good in yeah. those scenes. And I, I do think you're right. Like, I mean, even just the fact that it's a, like a college movie in the 80s. Like, there's so much. You're already, like, up sure. against. Or any, like, movie about youth in the 80s. Like, you got some heavy competition, right? Sure. It's hard to stand out. And to me, I'm not going to remember, like, that stuff, I think, much at all. I'll I'll remember mostly... Yeah, Bob, this this guy that I've never seen in any other movie and probably never will, playing this crazy hunchback and interacting with, like, yeah, Tom Skerritt and Cindy Williams. I can't help but appreciate the fact that, you know, as you talked about last time, that this movie even exists, especially with him in the lead. <laughs> like, in some ways, it's kind of ballsy. Yeah. And that this, I don't know when you watched it, but did the Miramax logo pop up at the beginning of your... Uh, yeah. Which is crazy. So I guess this, that, that's who's been distributing it on video, although, and we'll talk to yeah. Andrew about this, but yeah, I don't think there is a real good HD version of this out there anywhere right now. But yeah, that was kind of surprising. In the uh, one of the scenes with Cindy Williams where he's showing how well he can read, he pulls out a, a like an erotic novel called Lust Unchained and just starts launching into it, which that got a laugh. I, I mean, again, like a lot of it was in Cindy Williams' reactions, but. I don't know. That got a good laugh she's, out of me. She's really good. Anything else? Just in any of those little comedic moments that stood out for you?
1: Well, we 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 kind of mentioned this, but my first be, my first laugh of the movie uh-huh. was in the scene where he's sitting there with Tom Skerritt, and they're they're talking kind of face to face in his office. And when he asks about, you know, what what do you think? What would you like to be called? What would you like your name to be? The first name he says is Judy Finkel. Yeah. And that killed me. That was so great. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's completely out of left field. Right. Judy Finkel. And he, and he's so earnest mm-hmm. and Tom scared is trying to like, well, no, you, you know, you it, that that would be a woman's name and you know yeah. like, I just I, like I loved it and then it just had me spiraling back through, you know, wow, where where would where did Bob get the idea? <laughs> That Judy Finkel is a cool name. Like I yeah. love that. He's just been like, "Wow, Judy Finkel, that's a rad name."
0: It's such a better choice too than just going with like a rant. Like if they had done the William F. Buckley thing first, to me, it's right. not as funny because yeah, you've already, well, he thought a woman's no. name was a cool, <laughs> was a cool name, you know? Right? Yeah, it was such a it was and, a good and, choice. And,
1: and, and unless I'm yeah, unless I'm missing like a like a big reference there, it's like it would have been so disappointing if it was like Oprah Winfrey, yeah. you know? Like oh, no, man, you know? Yeah. Okay, he watches a lot of TV. Okay, yeah. you know.
0: Now, I like that. I mean, to me, a lot of those little moments, it felt like, yeah, this is a guy that writes a ton of great sitcoms, which Alan Katz did, you know, and just like that joke skill is really sharpened. Um, It's interesting because, well, I don't know, there's a lot of good just verbal jokes in this movie and dialogue from that character, but... So much of it is physical, too. I mean, I was laughing just when they were throwing Frisbee with Bob, like, in the quad, you know, which is what you, you know, that is a, like, college like sure. a rite of passage, or at least, like, a very stereotypical one. But Bob is like a dog trying to catch this Frisbee, like, jumping over bushes and, land, you know, just like he's constantly hitting the ground, and you don't <laughs> see him. He's, like, behind bushes, yeah. but you just hear the aftermath of it and, like, all that stuff. Like, it was just, it made me laugh, and it also was, like, this guy just, he threw himself literally into this role, you know. Uh, I, I think, like, he did not yeah. phone it in for a second, you know. Uh, I mean, he really, really committed to this crazy character. But let's do talk about the end a little bit here, because yeah. I was trying to think of, was it Morton Downey? Who was that? You remember that TV? Yeah. Okay. So Definitely yeah. Morton Downey. Yeah. There's a reference like out of nowhere, like halfway through this movie, you know, when Bob is making significant pro- progress, when Tom Skerritt comes into uh, Jessica Harper's classroom is like, we just got a telegram. I thought I should read to the entire class, which <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's what so was many. That scene about? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so many things <laughs> just within that one sentence right there that are interesting. But basically, there is a a (laughs) television show, which is shot locally in Los Angeles, that is is a kind of a riff on the Morton Downey guy. I think this very large early talk TV figure, you know, it's like, I don't know if that was pre Rush Limbaugh or definitely pre Jerry Springer, I think. But it was just like Mm -hmm. one of these like television loudmouths and one of those like daytime shows where you have crazy people on and you insult them and they insult you, blah, 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 blah. And so he's been invited on with Bob, and of course Tom Skerritt thinks that's a great idea. Nothing will go wrong because we can just show people how well Bob is doing. It's like I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's going to work out that way. <laughs> but uh, you know, Bob has had his feelings hurt. He did not get the proposal acceptance that he thought he might from Kathy, and she very politely, and I like how they handled that actually. I thought that was pretty good. Told him. Sure. You, know, you know it's just that's not what she she has plans and that doesn't fit her plan it's not she was not hard she was not saying you know i, I just don't like you that way they avoided some of those lines that i was kind of expecting bob is tricked into thinking that kathy is being harm. i can't remember what the exact specific was but basically jessica harper calls him on a payphone calls bob's bell tower which god only knows how what number that is and uh Tells her, tells no, him, yeah, that Kathy's in trouble at the <laughs> dorms, and and uh, he races over there and breaks into the the girls' dorm, and they're all freaking out, and so the security's called, and and basically he has to run away, and he escapes some very easily duped um, security guards, and oh man, I love the stuff of him like walking around with all the dogs following him. I thought that was kind of kind of sweet. That's great. I also just thought finally. We've spent this whole movie in Los Angeles and like this, you could have fooled me that this campus wasn't in like the middle of Kansas, you know, for all we've seen of L.A. Maybe that's where the budget is revealing itself or not. But it was like, I don't know, I I kind of long to get a sense, a better sense of place a little bit. Uh, along the way here. Sure. But nonetheless, that's that finally happens and then Bob sees some people watching this TV show where they're talking, you know, Kathy's there and the professor and them are there and like he's like I got to go down there, you know. And you sort of get the big kind of set piece comedy where he shows up on this TV set and Jessica Harper accidentally spills the beans that she lied and got him in trouble. And uh <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean and very let's just talk about a sitcom. Moment. Yeah, that's a total sitcom moment, yeah. So sitcom. The entire audience hates all of our good characters. Bob spends 1 second on that set and and that professor says something under her breath that basically just insinuates that she came up with the whole plan and suddenly everything turns on a dime. Yeah. It's like perfect, just in time for the commercial <laughs> break like Yeah. <laughs>
0: it also just I don't know like if it needed a bigger stage and I'm not sure why you couldn't just do this on campus and let him have his hero moment in front of like the student populace sure but that's also another thing is like it it is an interesting decision to not have the like student villain like there is no sort of you know you yeah. think of Revenge of the Nerds and that that you know character that whoever Je- Jefferson from Married with Children played or Real genius, that guy who was like the suck up. There isn't that sort of other student who acts as an antagonist in this movie. And so there's really not much for Bob to like overcome in a tangible way aside from Jessica Harper. And she's just not the most interesting antagonist there for sure. Well, that's
1: the thing. I, Yeah, I I, I feel like it does kind of go back to the idea that, I mean, what? What would generally happen to someone like mm-hmm. Bob? how much work do you have to do to make something up for him to go against? you know what I mean like yeah, it's just like like so so much of that stuff doesn't make sense that then it's like, uh, yeah like how, how would you add a, a student antagonist into <laughs> that like what student? What, what what would a student get out of being against? Well, I you know, think you get the uh, besides sucking up to uh, yeah, the professor. Do but, the I mean, uh,
0: Draco Malfoy version, where it's just a guy is like, this is disgusting. We shouldn't have let this filth on campus. You know, I'm paying X number of sure. thousands. My parents are paying thousands of dollars for me to go here, and you know, he he can't be here. He's I, sucking up resources. I don't right. know. Some you could easily make a guy extremely totally, unlikable for not yeah. yeah not caring about Bob.
1: Well, I, I do feel like maybe it comes down to the fact that like this is not a movie that has something to say. Sure. Yeah. Um, I kept thinking about homeless people or no, you know, I think you <laughs> outcasts of society. <laughs> Where did you get with that? Or, yeah. You know, mentally ill. Yeah, and it's just like no, it has nothing. It has nothing to say. Like, for instance, like I wanted, I honestly and I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I really wanted when Bob proposed to Kathy, I really wanted her to say yes. Yeah, oh, that would been be amazing. That took us, <laughs> because why? Like, why is she staying with Corey? Like, yeah. oh, why is it all know. of a sudden? Like, oh no, no, I'm I'm in this great relationship. Like, you know, you're not. Yeah, you don't love that guy. Just cracks jokes and he's failing out of college. <laughs> That's no one to stay with. Like, you should go for Bob. And then you know, so I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there was stuff just yeah missing there. And you're right. Like like the the TV show. Like, you didn't need to end that on a TV show because you're not saying anything about. Any of any of that yeah. like conservative talk show stuff. Right, right. Like, you're not saying anything, so it does seem weird. And then, it's, of course, and then to go back to that scene where he comes in with <laughs> with the with the message, it was just like like I thought the message was going to be that Bob has been cleared of all charges. Now he's on a full scholarship or something. Like he's going to graduate uh-huh. and like like I thought it was like the end of the movie. And then he's like, "We're going to go on TV." I was like, "What?" <laughs> like. Like, how is that a good part of the plan? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, And it just makes... Anyway, sorry.
0: It did make me question, for the first time in the entire movie, the integrity of Tom Skerritt as a professor.
1: (laughs) Right, it did. No, I'm not... Yeah, he seemed very weirdly vindictive in that moment. It was not the first
0: time. Yeah, Uh, I don't know. But it was kind of funny. No. Um,
1: Yeah, so I definitely
0: think that, in some ways, is a product of a different era And just, you know, trying to force in uh, some sort of happy ending there some comedy set piece that, I don't know, I would have just rather seen it stay on campus personally. I don't know. I figured, I think there's a way to do that. And that's kind of, I mean, that's that's Bob environment. That's his environment. And I think, you know, having him have, having him has, I'm just going to stop talking, having him have his low moment in, in his own, like, yeah, in his his home, like the only place he's ever known would have would have been kind of yeah. a little more emotional. But nonetheless, you know, it all ends well. You got Cindy Williams, who's <laughs> maybe in love with him. I don't know. Um Sure. Yeah, but I, I would love to see the sequel and just be about those two. Uh, that'd be fantastic. Oh, man, yeah. I don't know, Craig. I think, for me, it's an enjoyable movie, and I, I do think it's one... To check out just to see this Alan Katz guy and see him like play this character, and you'll know pretty quickly whether or not you're gonna like that ride or not. And so, I, I definitely recommend it. I, I think it's a sweet movie. I think it's fun, and there's enough good jokes in there that it, it, it powered me through. And you know, it feels a little void in the in the nostalgia of the '80s. Definitely a movie I had no idea about. What about you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I can't say I would recommend it, but it's it's certainly got an interesting history.
0: Well, on that note, we should talk to uh, we should talk to Andrew Bentler about some more of that history, should we?
1: Yes, we should. Let's do it.
0: Yes. So we've got Andrew here. Andrew, thank you very much again for suggesting this movie. And hello, how are you?
2: I am great. How are you guys doing?
0: We're doing well. Right, We're next. doing well. We have seen Big Man on Campus. And we've been talking about it tonight, and uh, yeah, obviously, thank you again for suggesting it. I figure, a, let's start with your introduction to this movie and your sort of when you saw it. Put us in a frame of mind of where Andrew Bentler was, uh, mostly emotionally, but if you want to do geographically as well, that's fine too. But when you first saw Big Man on Campus,
2: both of those things are important. I was growing up in Iowa. And mm-hmm. most of the movies that I saw growing up were from uh video, were VHS tapes. Um, I remember seeing specific movies in a theater, but in Iowa the movie theaters aren't as good as they are in other parts of the country. So um it was more like multiplexes and malls and things like that. So so most of my like cinematic experience was through the the video stores and through what my friend's dad recorded off of like the HBO. He yeah. had HBO, you know, and, and when cable first started, uh, it used to be that there was like very, very few places that you could see movies. And for me, it was the, the VHS tape. And so that's where I got this this movie was a friend of mine uh, had recorded it off of HBO. And it was, I think, on the same tape as like Back to School yeah, and like uh, Caddyshack. <laughs> like it was with with those type of movies... So I didn't really have any sort of frame of reference as to it being in theaters or if it was like popular or anything. I just would watch, you know, Back to School, Rodney Dangerfield and Roxanne, Big, and then this movie. And all of them made me laugh in different ways. And then when when Comedy Central started, I remember it being on there – on repeat like all the time when it first started like when it was like the comedy channel or something like that yeah which we can get into if you ever want to but because of it not really getting a huge theatrical release or any sort of dvd release it kind of just lived on tv a lot so i think that's where most people saw it was probably basic cable
0: yeah i would have to imagine i mean i know craig you looked into it a little bit last week and we couldn't i mean i don't think we found any sort of box office tally for this movie but so that that's cool that, that you've formed this kind of like a, you know, affinity for it through VHS and cable, which I think a lot of people, you know, have that experience if they grew up during that era. And then when did you rediscover this movie kind of, you know, you went to film school with us and obviously you started studying film, you know, at at what point were you like, oh, you know what, that movie, that was actually really good. I need to go back and like fall in love with this thing again.
2: I think it more has to do with there's a little bit of snobs of a snobbish mentality to like the way that people judge filmmaking in Uh general. And so like when we were in film school, the thing I liked about North Carolina school of the arts is that there was a lot more of a diverse, like way that people told stories like people Mm -hmm. were doing comedies and things. I think that all it was was that it was more just my selfishness. Like my TV started getting bigger And I started seeing all these special edition of movies that I had seen when I was younger coming out and uh, I couldn't get this movie anywhere and I still remembered it. So, you know, finally I found like a bootleg blue DVD or something like that that was made off of a laser disc because there was a laser disc made. Wow. It was almost more like an, not necessarily this specific movie, but just like an awakening that like these type of movies might disappear. Yeah. So then that kind of just drove me to, Figuring out, like, with this movie as the example, why am I not able to find this in a high-definition format, both for selfish reasons, but also because, like, these are stories that people spend a lot of time making. Like, they spent, in some cases, 10 years of their life. Like, you are both filmmakers, so you know, and over Mm -hmm. the course of my last, you know, 20 years or so working, you see how difficult it is not only to get your own movies made, but to get your friends' movies made. So if you have a film that does get through that arduous process that at the other end has a two week opportunity where your movie lives in a theater for two weeks. And then at at this point, this was the VHS market. So then lives in a video store and then disappears forever. Nobody knows this movie exists. So, or it had to do with like going to school with Ray showing us all these films that were archived and that we had taken care of. And they were from, you know, the twenties and thirties and all of this, the time that like his generation cares about, like the golden age of, of, of their cinema. And I didn't really see anybody doing that for our age of, of movies. Right. And so I just decided that I would use this as an example. One, because it's, I think it's a good movie. Like I thought, I thought it was back then I was entertained by it. I saw as I learned about film history at school connections to like a uh, uh screwball comedy and For to sure. like as when my wife was pointing out like cartoons like they're sneaking around there's like sneaking scenes that you that are <laughs> yeah. tropes that you've seen ten times before, but you know how many times did you see them before this? It's like there's there uh there are like these connective jokes through cinema that that in the same way that like Scorsese has, you know, a shot and then you see it in somebody else's movie the same thing happens with jokes so you know i just find the same entertainment value in that as i do in like seeing somebody light a shot or frame a shot the same way as it was in a kurosawa movie or something like that
0: yeah like, that's, that's uh true. that's that's funny you mentioned cartoons because we we were talking specifically about that sneaking around scene when well, when and yeah. cory parker is sneaking out of bed i was just I was like that's super funny i i totally did not think about that but that i mean I guarantee there's like a Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig moment or Elmer Fudd moment that's exactly like that when Elmer Fudd is like hunting rabbits, right? Oh yeah, and
2: there's probably like Laurel and Hardy moments and Three Stooges. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. Yeah, where that same gag goes through. Yeah, and that's basically what I've been uh, talking about in my in my interviews. But it basically is it's just like what I've been talking about is is the through line. I've I've learned so much just talking about one specific movie, just like having one specific movie in the focus and talking to different people about like where they were in their career at the point of this movie. Because as mm-hmm. you said in, in uh, your previous episode, in the, there's a lot of people that went on to do a lot of things and who had done a lot of things at this point. So it's an interesting movie that nobody talks about that has so many people that have gone on to shoot 100 200 million dollar movies or edit the abyss the same year or
0: crazy yeah
2: it's just crazy and so to me those are the movies within the movies that you see how a filmmaker learns their craft or you see like the beginning of something and you see it's, it's like the ones that get that fall through the cracks the ones that end up on on your show i guess
0: well, can you tell us a little bit about how you've gotten involved with trying to, you know, okay. you mentioned you've been doing some interviews, you've been contacting some of the people involved in this movie. I'm assuming you've spoken to Alan Katz.
2: Yes, I have oh. spoken to Alan Katz. That's I, amazing. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, so this has always just been kind of like a joke. Like me liking this movie was, it's, you know, <laughs> I I posted yeah. about it like ten years ago, uh, and some of my friends also commented on it. I have a good friend uh, who's a talented actor. His name is Henry, and he was in Alan Katz's last movie. And most people uh, wouldn't necessarily see that name and jump out and go like, Alan Katz, the Alan Katz? But I said that to Henry. Right. And uh, when he found out that I was a a fan of the film, he told Alan. And Alan, of course, was happy to know that somebody liked his movie and <laughs> I was put in touch and he has just been very cordial and let me talk my ear, his ear off. And then he talks my ear off and That's I awesome. learn about how writers worked or how writing worked in, in the earlier days of television and how an idea can come from a caveman in a, in a, uh, advertisement, you know, 20 years later through, just being a character that you think about for a long time through script stage, through, you know, all of the nuts and bolts stuff that you don't really hear about. Uh You hear about like the glamor and you hear about people like, let's make a deal. And then the movie's made like jump shot to the, to the next, to the next or jump cut to the next scene. But you don't hear about any of the nuts and bolts stuff, especially in this time period of like what happened to get a movie made, especially what happens to get a movie made when you have like you point out in the article, I don't know if this is normal for the amount of, of years that you spend on a movie, although most of the people that I know that make movies, it takes them you know, at least 10 years from uh, the idea to the time that it's on the screen. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning about that as I go through this. And I'm also learning about it from different points of view because everybody, of course, this is is coming back to the single moment in their life that's 30 years ago. So right. what do you still hold on to from 30 years ago And what did that experience teach you as a filmmaker? And that's pretty much what I'm learning, which is kind of (laughs) awesome. Like if you're into the nuts and bolts of filmmaking, any movie can you can make a a documentary that's, you know, feature length about pretty much any movie that's ever been made.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And have you spoken to the director at all?
2: Um, I have yet to spoke to speak to the director, but he is next on my list. Awesome. He might if he ever hears this, but he is, I believe, still um, at USC, which is where they shot the film. So cool. I hope to learn a lot about uh, what he brought to the film. Very cool. And we will see.
0: And then is there an ultimate goal for what you're doing with with the interviews or do you have well, a plan to put them out there somewhere or is that something we say for a different goal- day? Or, yeah
2: the ultimate goal right now is to just get them recorded because you never know how long we'll have all of these wonderful people around to tell us their stories. Right. But also I'm just curious about it. And I'm at the point where um, I can, where people will actually answer my questions. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, it gives me something else to focus on besides whatever, you know, work I'm doing. And it also, it, it's kind of, uh, just a good cause. Uh, one of the inspirations for me doing this is a film that's coming out right now or that's out like in, in some theaters right now called Finding Brinton, which is a documentary about a guy from Iowa who found like basically an undiscovered, I believe, Lumiere film. <laughs> wow. that's like over 100 years old in Iowa and had the only copy of this movie and no one realized that he did. Holy cow. And the film is about him and about just, you know, the movie wouldn't have been saved if he wouldn't have made the decision to save it. And so when I saw that, that was basically the inspiration for me to be like, you know, it's, it was kind of an idea to try to save this movie or try to see like what happened to this movie. But now I think like I need to do it just because if I don't, and I want to get it in the future or somebody else, one of the hundreds of hilarious reviews of the film that I read online, like, wants to get it in the future or show it to their their family or their kids, which it's not really a terrible movie to show, like, a a wide variety of people.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
2: They can't do that because when a kid sees a movie on an HDTV and it looks blurry because it's from a standard definition stream, then they watch something else. Yeah. You know, and then you can't show your kids or your friends or your family the movies that you grew up on. And that's, like, you know, part of... What I think cinema is, is to continue the language to your next generation of filmmakers, whether it's comedy or visual or whatever your sim- cinema language is. I'm
0: kind of amazed that there's not a Blu-ray of this or something. I mean, it, that's it's kind of mind-blowing. Well, I mean, some of the movies that we've talked about on this podcast that <laughs> exist in some sort of HD form, whether it's Blu-ray or just at online somewhere, yeah. I mean it certainly would be within good company, you know?
2: I'm hoping to find out my, you said what the final goal of this is, that my final goal of this is to find out why it doesn't just at least exist in HD. Right. Uh, Some of the things that I've heard, which I'll try to find out the answer to, I wish I could give you yet, are that the negative was destroyed in a fire. You know how that happens in Los Angeles every 25 years or so. (laughs) But the good news is, which I will say, is that there are two, at least, prints of the film that I have identified and that are currently in safe places Good. that we could use for a 5K HDR scan, which would then make it essentially Uh future-proofed. Obviously, that costs money, and that might be something that we try to kickstart down the road, but... The real goal is is mostly just to have a screening in Los Angeles or a screening somewhere to celebrate the 30th anniversary, which is in 2019, yeah. technically. Yeah. Well, now, is
1: does Miramax own it? Like, what's well, the deal there? So
2: Miramax, it, what it looks like is that Miramax, it's part of the Miramax catalog somehow. Yeah. But I believe it's Lionsgate that owns it right now. And it was originally a Vestron film. Right. It had some issues with how... They, they had sold off the international rights ahead of time to pay for some other stuff. Then the movie didn't... I don't believe that the movie got a cinematic release. Uh, we're only to production on me talking or on, on the interviews. But the movie didn't really get a cinematic release and then Vestron went bankrupt. So all of Sweet. that those titles around that era kind of got wrapped up in that. So it then started to show up on HBO... And that's, you know, how I think most people found it. But, yeah. um, I'm, the, you know, my, goal, like I said, my goal is to learn all of these things because it's, it's like the project for the year, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. So I still have a it's couple more months to, to figure it out. And it comes from an idea that everybody has their Citizen Kane movie. Like I, I, I know you guys remember in school and like you guys all have your favorite film and i have a lot of weird friends and they all have their weird favorite <laughs> films yeah and it's not none of them are citizen kane right yeah it seems strange for us to judge people on what movie they think is their favorite movie so for a lot of people if you look on the reviews of these movies and even i believe somebody posted on your facebook page there are very few people that remember this movie but the people that remember this movie it is like their favorite movie like yeah. their reviews are just glowing like they remember it as I, I've talked to people who online who are like, oh, I used to watch this all the time. I live in Italy. It played on TV all the time. It was like our favorite movie. Or Jesus. Yeah. Alan told me that there was somebody who used to live in Saudi Arabia and they used to see it there on like state television. Like it would play there. And it's like the weirdest <laughs> places that this movie shows up and like the weirdest places that it connects people. And it's it's just a it's a fun like mystery. It's like a mystery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus like the movie – we can talk about the movie, but the movie is—I just think the movie is—is is just a fun slapstick comedy. And I, uh, I, as an editor, when you edit, you watch a movie like a hundred times. And I've probably seen this movie ten times. So, like, I'm endeared to just the the strangest little moments just make me crack up. So, oh, and there's so many I of them pro- too. I, pro- yeah. I probably wouldn't—I probably wouldn't give you an actual like an even-handed review of it. But <laughs> nobody, there's
0: no such thing, right? I mean, oh no, no. I me. Mean, Craig and I talked a little bit about how much. You know, this movie differs from a lot of comedy now by not being so grounded, you know, and by having this bigger premise and and going just directions that you didn't expect. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. it's definitely, you know, just one of these movies, like exactly what you're saying, specifically from this era that you just hate to see disappear. Mm-hmm. I mean any movie I think you hate to see disappear and especially even thinking about in terms of big huge budget movies now still only have a very limited shelf life in theaters and then with the massive amount of things that they're having to compete with for attention on home video you you wonder what it's going to look like for a lot of movies 10, 15 years from now, you know, I I wonder what will be someone's big man on campus from the year 2017 or something, you know, um, that some kid is Mm. watching now in the theater or wherever on Netflix, whatever it is that they're not going to be able to find 30 years from now, especially if all we have are streaming outlets whose libraries constantly change. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of that has to do with the legal rights and who owns these things and and studios going out of business business and, and distributors going out of business and, yeah, I'm very interested to hear what you find out about that kind of stuff in regards to this yeah. movie.
2: And even even with all that stuff, hopefully, like with hopefully, we'll at least be able to preserve them. Like even exactly. if we're not able to get the movies to come out, at least we'll be able to preserve them. There is an, another reason that I chose this movie specifically. If you know anything about Victor Hugo, if and the original story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, he was a fan of gothic architecture. Uh huh. And people weren't taking it seriously or or it was like at risk in at the time that he wrote the book. So he wrote the book in order to draw attention to these beautiful Gothic churches. So that's so it like describes the churches and all of that kind of stuff. And it did its job like the book became what it was. Right. And he he basically was able to save an art form. And one of the first like the, the original, I believe it's Lon Chaney Senior version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame is just becoming in public domain right now. Wow. Uh, So if you get a chance to see that, you should, because it's it's kind of interesting to see the parallels between like the retelling of the same story from 1928 to 19, you know, all the different versions throughout. Yeah. To Disney to now. Well,
0: uh, Craig and I were discussing just how illiterate we are as usual when it comes to (laughs) the source material here. uh, And this was no exception. So yeah, Yeah. that's great. I would love to see the launch anything. And uh, yeah. um, Yeah.
2: and I won't spoil it, but uh, the the original ones don't end as happy. That's one of the things Alan and I talk about <laughs> a lot is that you wouldn't want to imagine. have made yeah. this movie with the ending that is in the original hunchback story. Probably because it not. would be very depressing.
1: So there's no there's no Cindy Williams character then in
2: the Lon Chaney version? There is not. And isn't she yeah. amazing? So she's good. my favorite. She's amazing. Yes. Yeah. She's absolutely gold. She is really good, I, I, I loved her. Yeah, she's so good. I'm trying. I'm trying to get her on it. On it next too. I was gonna say, oh, I, you know, I know
0: you have good
2: aspirations
0: for this, and I wish you nothing but luck. I hope at some point you will be able to ask Alan how much chocolate was actually on him if that was indeed <laughs> chocolate in that scene. Because. So gross looking.
2: And I did ask Alan, though, after your, uh, I, I heard your first podcast, I asked him if indeed it was true that he named himself Starring Alan Katz, and he sent me a text picture of his uh, SAG card. That's
0: amazing. Love it. <laughs> so, love it. Yeah. Love it. That's great. I love that. Well, hey, yeah. you got to keep us posted on this, obviously, and I'm sure uh, you know people listening <laughs> to this will want to know. So, yeah, please come back and let us know when you've made some progress on this or if you're doing a Kickstarter oh, or anything.
2: And find it on Facebook. If you find the big man on campus on Facebook, then that's me running it. Oh, okay. Make great,
0: great. Yeah, you got it. Good. So
2: I'll, if I have any updates, I'll, I'll post it there until they take control of it from me.
0: Fantastic. That's awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Do you want to tell people real quickly? Is there anything you're working on right now that people might like to to see with their eyeballs?
2: I just finished uh, working on a wonderful show that you'll be able to see on GAC channel, which is called Mountain Life. Awesome. Yeah, it's a wonderful show, which is beautiful and in the mountains. Cool. But uh, no, I I think that I think everybody should just go watch this movie because it, the second time and the third time is even better and like the seventeenth time it is the funniest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> That's the mark of a great
0: comedy. That's the true mark. Yeah, yes. Indeed. Well, thanks, yeah. man, and you have a good night. And thanks again.
2: Excellent. Talk to you later. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for
0: listening. Thanks, obviously, Andrew, for coming on, and uh, Craig. Any last words of wisdom?
1: Uh. Yes. As always, I have some words of wisdom. Um, I don't know, Judy Finkel? I don't know. I think maybe that's it. Judy Finkel works for me.
0: Awesome. We'll see you next week, Thank folks. You.